This is Discussions on the Firewater Network, where we talk to those crafting the future of the spirits industry. And now, here's your host. Hello, this is Zachary Farley. With me today is Missy Dewar of the Indian Creek Distillery. Thank you so much for joining me today, Missy. You're very welcome. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for taking time out of your day to show me around your beautiful farm and what an incredible experience it is to be here. Missy, first thing I'd like to ask you is just tell me about your distillery. What's the world need to know about Indian Creek? It has such a special place to you and to this community with such history. Just what does the world need to know about it? Well, they need to know that we are history, but we are still making history. Hmm. My family distilled here for 100 years from 1820 until 1920 when Prohibition came knocking. (laughs) And so with the revitalization of the old stills and Joe and I taking up the the distilling banner again as such, we feel that we present to the artisan distilling world a very unique handcrafted art form of early American whiskey. Hmm. And because it is totally a labor of love and very handcrafted, actually taking a week from grain to bottle, we feel that the whiskey consumer needs to know that this is a very special whiskey and that it is deserving of their tasting pleasure. Let's talk about that a little bit. So the history of it all, why it takes a week to go from grain to bottle and and why it... (laughs) Uh, Well, that's... (laughs) You know, so so people who haven't had the opportunity yet to come to your beautiful facility don't would, would never have a chance to see the amazing stills that you have downstairs. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those stills? Okay. And why why they're different than uh, any other distillery a person's going to go to? They are actually the original stills that my fifth great-grandfather, Elias Staley, used in his distillery here on the farm in 1820. In fact, they could even be possibly a little bit older than that because he actually owned another distillery and a grist mill in the area of the downtown Dayton right <laughs> now. Uh, yeah. Back then it wasn't, but before purchasing this farm. And so they are early American stills, which means that they produce a very distinctive old-fashioned whiskey and it, they are very slow. Joe and I like to say we are the beginning of the slow whiskey movement. <laughs> the slow whiskey movement. <laughs> because we epitomize that with the mm-hmm. work that these old girls do yeah. for us. But because it takes a week from mashing in, which is actually using the recipe, it's just like cooking. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to, to take these ingredients and put them into a mash, which, like I said, is the recipe. You're going to let it ferment. Ours approximately takes about three days. Okay. Quite a quick fermentation but it is not necessary for us to ferment any longer with the recipe that we're using, which is, by the way, the original recipe from 1820. Now, how can you tell me that? How do you know that? Because it is written in my great-grandfather's writing. Wow. And he wrote it down, and you've got to know that those boys (laughs) passed down that old recipe generation after generation because he was a distiller here as well. So anyway... Once you mash in and then you let it ferment, then it's time to put them into the first still. You have to remember that this is the early American tradition of distilling, which is double copper pot distillation. This is the way everyone did it in the 1800s. You had to use two stills. 
The first still was called the beer still. It actually produced low-proof alcohol. Okay, so the distiller's beer, I think, is what it's yes, called. Yes, distiller's beer. The distillers here always just called it the beer the still. Beer. Okay. That's the beer just still. what right. it was. It was the beer stripper is really what they called okay. it, okay? <laughs> gotcha. All, all right. right. So. so anyway, it's all these old-fashioned words. So once it is passed through the first distillation, it comes out a low proof, which is around 40 proof. Just getting verification from the facts, Judge, on the side. Yes, yeah, yeah. that's right. From Joseph, <laughs> Joe. the distiller on the side here. 75 right now. Oh, it's <laughs> Oh, doing wow. really good today. Oh, we're having a good day. Excellent. Excellent. Anyway, so comes out low proof and then we collect it. Then we redistill it into the second still. Uh, that brings us to a higher proof, which usually comes out 120, 110 proof. And then we can cut it as we wish. And we usually cut it with a lower proof whiskey. We do not cut with water if we can. Really? Oh, that's interesting. So you're not getting a watered-down product with the Indian Creek Distilleries <laughs> whiskey. We're doing it all the hard way, <laughs> the hard aren't way, we? Yeah. Yes, we are. Absolutely. Yes. So that process takes an entire week. Okay. Because those old stills, actually, when they're running, the whiskey comes out about the size of a wooden matchstick. The flow of the wow. whiskey comes out that slow and small. And the old-timers said that produced the best whiskey. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't roll out in gallons. Right. Like when you go into a big industrial yes. distillery, you just see it bubbling through the parrot that they have there. Here, it really does just come through as a trickle. It does. Yeah. It does. Hmm. So that, again, gives you an idea of the many hours that it takes to accumulate that whiskey. Wow. And your distilling staff of one. Uh, yes. <laughs> your husband, Joe. My husband, yeah. Joe. Yes. <laughs> Me occasionally. And you, I, okay. Yes. yes okay. Yeah, but may, it is Joe. Well, let's talk about that water just a little bit, because even that has history here. And I found this to be so amazing. So you are actually using properly treated, of course, but natural spring water for your whiskey production. Can you talk about that just a little bit? Yes. So I think that's another incredible part of what you're doing here. Yes, actually, originally, Elias, Staley used creek water, which would have flowed down through the mill races here at the farm. And in his diaries, he said that when the creek is low, so is the money. Oh, no. Okay. So the boys, his sons, when they took over, actually tapped into the artisan springs, which lie all over this farm. So Joe and I have done exactly the same thing. We have tapped into an artisan spring, which lies just to the south of our building. And so we are using that wonderful limestone artisan spring water for our whiskey, which is very important for the flavor of whiskey. And you mentioned that we do treat it. We only treat it with a UV treatment okay. system, which rids the water of bacteria and E. coli, but allows the wonderful minerals that are in there to still flavor that whiskey. I see. Okay, so it does nothing to actually affect the taste of the water. It's just getting rid of... The nasties. The nasties, okay. Yes. <laughs> So part of what I'm hearing from you is as you're making your whiskey, you're setting out to be authentic and doing things the old way. And you've really, you're not cutting any corners there. It's the, it's the original stills. And you were even telling me off air about how every nook and cranny of the still kind of has its own story to tell and its own spirit. And you're taking your time with everything and you're even takes you too much time to get the distillate done and tapping into the spring. So this isn't just a marketing gimmick for you or, or you know, you're not just putting an old looking, old timing label on a bottle. You really are not cutting any corners and 
living the ethos that you're uh, professing. Exactly. Like. Yeah, we are, as Joe likes to say, we are the thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you meet us, when you are around us, you will know that we are all about history, mm-hmm. about authenticity, and this is our life. This is what we do. We live and walk on history every day mm-hmm. of our lives, and it means a lot to us. It's very important, and so what you see is truly what you get, and we're firm believers in portraying the truth as truth. Okay. And so the story is truth. It's not a marketing tool. Mm -hmm. It's all true. It's all true. (laughs) It is all true. When you've lived here for six generations, um, someone's going to can fact check that if you aren't telling the truth. You have history here in the area. Yes, I think the neighbors (laughs) might know, but if it wasn't true, I mean, they can even verify it because even the farm north to us, the our original gauger or government man who came once the boys were officially paying their taxes after the excise tax was placed on whiskey during the Civil War, Mm -hmm. Our neighbor to the north of us, the farm just north of us, was actually the government agent man. And that family still lives there today. Wow, really? Yeah. I just saw him at uh, the pharmacy and he said, thank you, Missy, for talking about my great-grandfather and sharing about his life in combination with your family. So yeah, this is the real thing. And that's what Joe and I wish to portray and have people understand with our whiskey and especially with the experience of coming here, you don't really get the whole effect until you come here and you feel the spirit of the place. Mm -hmm. You feel history. You are back in time and you are living what America really was when you come here. You can sense that. But we do hope that our whiskey will give that consumer that opportunity as well. I've taken great time with designing the labels. The first label is actually for our unaged whiskey. Well, so let's, let's talk about that yeah. uh, before we jump too far ahead. What kind of products do you make here? Then? So we've talked about your whiskey, but you don't just make one product. What all does uh, Indian Creek produce? At this time, we are just following the original recipe, which was early American rye whiskey. Okay. So we have unaged, which is straight from the still. Oh. And so it is a clear white whiskey, the way Elias would have served you in his jugs (laughs) when you would have come if you would have been an Indian or a settler. (laughs) And then we have an aged product. And as time has gone on through the years that the boys were here, my great-great-grandfather, they started barreling. And so Joe and I do the same with our unaged whiskey. We barrel it. Okay. So it all starts from the exact same base. And then it's either the clear unaged, just go straight into the bottle, or you take the same... product and stick it in a barrel and let it age. And what is your aging process? What kind of barrels are you using? We're using uh, white American oak barrels uh, that are made by a small family-owned cooperage in Minnesota and called Black Swan Cooperage. We use 10-gallon barrels. Oh, wow. Really small barrels then. uh... Very small barrels. And again, to be as true to my family's tradition of distilling, my family used hickory barrels. Okay. Now, you could do that before prohibition laws came into effect or post-prohibition laws, I should say, where the government set a standard of using only oak barrels. Yes, right. Which we still adhere (laughs) to. All of us adhere to today. (laughs) The legal definition is in an unused oak barrel, well, for a bourbon, but uh, yeah, it's all oak. It presupposes that you're using an oak That is correct. So this small cooperage has invented a product of small wooden staves of particular types of wood. It could be cherry, maple, hickory, and some other ones. 
They actually drill those, lightly toast them, and we place those in our barrels for at least six weeks. Usually we don't take them out because they're kind of a aggravation to get in and out with your fishing line. Anyway, so it flavors the whiskey with that hickory. I see. Wow. So again, we are trying to stay as true to my family's original whiskey style Mm -hmm. from the 1800s. Okay. Can't wait to try some of that. Actually, I've never had a hickory-flavored whiskey before. That sounds interesting. So when did you open? When did you get your uh, TTB permit approved? When did the White Dog start uh, rolling out, so to speak? December of 2012. Okay. Officially, yeah. 2012 was the year of the government forms. Okay, the year of the government <laughs> forms. <laughs> so, you know, that kind of brings me to my next question. It's a daunting process to get DSP <laughs> approved. How did you handle that? What would you say was the biggest hurdle in getting overcoming, or biggest hurdle in getting your permits and everything passed? I would have to say patience. Yes, okay. <laughs> having it or? <laughs> yes, having it, having okay. that virtue of yeah. patience. Getting a DSP mm-hmm. from the TTB. Nice acronym. Yes, <laughs> is not a difficult thing to do. Okay. It's the time frame, the untimeliness of their end, I have to say, because they are so governmentally slow. They do not mind giving us a license because obviously they want the tax money. And so they don't really care about that. It's just that it goes on forever. It took us six months to receive our DSP number. Oh, really? Just to get the number? Just to get the permit number to be permitted. Then we went through some local health department questions and so forth. Being an agricultural distillery on a farm, which is agriculturally zoned, was not difficult for us. For one thing, the county had never had a distillery before. (laughs) That's what I hear that a lot when I talk to people. You know, they're educating themselves about what the process is, but then they oftentimes find that they're one of the first people to ever ask their municipalities to open it, <laughs> to open up something like this. So they actually have to educate the zoning boards and, and the health departments too. Did you have to, did you find yourself doing that? We, well? we felt like we did, yeah. yes. So Everyone the, was learning together. <laughs> we were learning together and actually the less said on our part, the better we felt. Okay, yep. They were very open to it all. In fact, they never even questioned our water, which was interesting. We would have thought because that's, part of the product, they would have been concerned about that. They were more concerned about our septic system and our restroom, (laughs) which was really bizarre. (laughs) The most important part of any distillery. Well, of course it is. So anyway, then we went through the, the health department and then it was time to get our label approved through the COLA division of the TTB. That, to me, really tried our patience. Again, that was at the fall of 2012. It took three months to get our first label approved. Wow, really? And that was through many emails, personal phone calls, trying to get through to someone there. And it was very frustrating. And was it a back and forth or was it just not getting an answer from them to begin with? Did they have questions about your label and and all? They did. What we felt was some foolish things aesthetically. I have the very dim picture of one of the original journal entries by Elias from 1830. It just says whiskey was like this much a gallon or whatever. And they they came back and said, what the heck is this? (laughs) So I don't know if they thought we were trying to do some subliminal terrorist thing with that or what. But, you know, definitely I said, no, it's just a copy of this. So it's just, you have to go into the detail and then you run a copy and you have to send it. And for us at that time, we did not do an email 
application approval. It oh, was by you're mail. Doing it by mail. Okay. It, what that had just been part of their new plan was to start with the email applications. Now our second label was approved via email applications, okay. but still I pulled a little strings and said uh, because you promised me because you were so slow on our first label you would get me through with my second, and she said yes, but this is it. I'm not going to speed you through on anymore. Well, she kept her word for that. She did. Yes, okay. She did. So we were happy. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Okay, so some, moving on to something a little bit happier than uh, paperwork and bureaucracy, maybe? Yes, definitely. <laughs> How did you come up with the name of Indian Creek? That's exactly the name that my fifth grade grandfather used, Indian Creek Distillery. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, then. So <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of Pretty a easy. no-brainer. Yep, all right. Why? Why Good enough 100 years ago, why change it? Exactly, yeah. And let's talk about your bottle design, then. Uh, how did you come up with this design? Is it also historically accurate? or It is. Well, actually, my family were always true frontier distillers. Mm -hmm. They never had the opportunity to put their whiskey in a bottle. What a luxury then. Yes, we feel very honored to bring my family's whiskey from the jug to the bottle (laughs) so that you don't have to haul that in your car. Wonderful. But anyway... I'm sure some people wish you would bring the jug back. Oh, we've had that. Yes, (laughs) Yes. that that question asked. But I wanted to honor, especially with our unage, which is the first spirit of this farm, which was my fifth great grandfather, Elias Daly, who built the distillery in 1820. So the white whiskey, has it's named Elias Staley, and that is uh, it. We're using his original signature on there, as I mentioned before. It has the document of one of his ledgers in the background, and then I write on each of our labels a little bit about the history oh. and about who Joe and I are and what we're trying to bring to the distilling world this other way of thinking, this true, historic, authentic whiskey. So did you then, speaking of your label, did you do all the design yourself then based on these historical documents? Did you use a graphic designer to help you? I designed them all. I did them the uh, old scrapbook method. When I say cut and paste, I actually use Elmer's glue. Did you really? (laughs) And scissors. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. I put them all together like that because I am not a computer graphic individual. But fortunately, I have a wonderful local printer who allowed me to sit with their graphic designer for four or five hours at a time. Oh, wow. And he actually took my inspiration from paper to the computer and then applied it to the labels. And that's what I do with all of our marketing. They're fabulous. Hmm. Well, so it speaks to the importance of locality and being good to the people around you and really relying on your community. That's exactly right. To keep everything local, I mean, they've become friends. And it's wonderful to be able to email Tim and, yeah, hi, Missy, how are you? (laughs) You know, and (laughs) uh, I don't work with a large label company. You know, I get many envelopes filled with their wonderful looking labels, but we do. We stick locally here with try to with everything that we do. On that note, let's talk about your grains and, and where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Your mash bill is very authentic, passed down over the generations. Where do your grains come from to uh, fit that mash bill? Do you try to keep it locally sourced also? Mm-hmm, we do. The rye comes from a uh, local young farmer up by Versailles, which is about Oh, 45 minutes away from here. The corn is Miami County corn. The corn, or that is the county in which we live, and possibly some of that corn's come from our farms. And also the malted barley is obviously no one malts barley in our area. So we do purchase that from out west. But eventually we actually have contracted our farms to an organic farmer 
he's in the process of getting our farm certified organic. So, and I'm told that can take three years, I guess. For yes, that and I think he's yep. there right wow. now. Actually, he's growing organic popcorn right okay. now on our farms. <laughs> <laughs> so that should be interesting. All right. But anyway, once we discover some old-fashioned heirloom grains, we'd like to really go back to some open-pollinated rye and corn, wow. if possible. Okay. We will have him grow those grains on our farm. So you are talking then a really true grain to bottle experience because those grains will come right from the dirt on our farms. So when that time comes, what will be and what has been your testing method for the recipe? You know, I, I know you, you're using the old recipe that you were handed down, but how did you know that now it's time to put it in the bottle? Yes, this is the way it should be made. This is how it should taste. Uh, who was your sample kitchen, so to speak? <laughs> well, the sample kitchen was our family okay. and Joe the distiller. And Joe the distiller. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Again, once you you get the old girls, meaning the stills, rolling, they know what they're doing. And so you just have to let them go. Just let them go? Yeah. yeah. We can only get in the way of them. We uh, can only get in the way of them. That's exactly right. So there was not a lot of testing going on. I don't know how to explain that. It just worked. It just worked. Well, that's great. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Now that you've been open for about a year and a half, has it been? Uh, and you have products on the shelf thus far, even though you're relatively new in the distilling world, uh, despite the history behind you and <laughs> the current product. You know, what would you say, what's been your proudest moment since opening your distillery? What has made you say, wow, like this is amazing, this is incredible. How cool is that? Well, I think uh, once Joe and I actually get the chance to step back and, and look at our distillery, what it represents all the hard work that's gone into it because it actually took us about four years to get to this point of where you and I are sitting down here. And when the people come and they actually get it, when they are moved, when they understand about the quality of early America and the people that were here that had gone before us and that were able to express that here with our whiskey and the distillery experience. And that makes us very proud. And actually, I'd have to say it is almost a day-to-day feeling for us. Really? Yes. How wonderful. Yeah, we feel very honored to have this opportunity. What's the one thing you wish someone had told you before? Now now that you have your distillery up and running, what do you wish you knew now what you didn't know then, so to speak? Uh, looking back, what do you wish someone had told you at the very beginning of, of this process? That somebody should have told us to double the amount of money that you're going to need. <laughs> <laughs> I hear that a lot, actually. I yeah, bet you do. A, <laughs> bet you yeah. do. Takes a lot more money than you think it will. And Joe and I are very much fly by the seat of your pants type of entrepreneurs, always have been. We're great believers, I guess, in ourselves and that there isn't anything that we can't do. Okay. Might be a little crazy, <laughs> but I think you have yeah. to be kind of crazy yeah. to enjoy life sometimes. But anyway. So uh, really, you're going to go up into a bar and you're going to pull down some 200-year-old stills and you're yep. going to make whiskey. We're going to make whiskey and okay. say, we don't know what the heck we're doing, but let's do this. And that's exactly what we did. I mean, Joe never distilled before. We never done this before. I mean, we don't even personally really like dealing with the government. (laughs) (laughs) We're the don't tread on me folk. And so here we are, we're embedded with the government. Let me just say, I think the government's involved uh, every step of the way. (laughs) Uh, Incredibly. And if if I have to say that, that is the worst part right there is too much government involvement. Really? Yes. We're supposed to be free doing whatever we do here in America and we ain't. 
And especially in this business. Yes. Yeah. It's so tightly regulated. It is very tightly regulated, and the taxation is ridiculous, especially in Ohio. Yeah. Let's talk about that for just one second. Uh, Ohio is very unique. I mean, other states kind of have the same model, but it's not the 50-state model, to, to put it lightly. The state operates the liquor stores. The state operates the warehouses. And in fact, your gift center downstairs where you can sell bottles to the public is technically a state run facility and they just happen to let you run it out of, off of your own property. Given that, how do you overcome those regulatory hurdles that are there? How do you really market your product given that you don't have much control over the people who sell it and the people who are supposed to be out there marketing it? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> as uh, politely as possible. <laughs> yes, as politely as possible. This post-prohibition laws that Ohio runs their liquor control division of the state government is so antiquated that they don't even know really at times what each section of it is doing, how they're operating. It can be very confusing inside that department is what I'm saying. So that if I'm talking over here to say this individual, this one over here has no idea, even though they should be working together. So the communication there in that division needs a lot of help, I should say. Okay, and, and you're a small business. And we are a very you small know, you business. You don't have time to... <laughs> to mess around with that. Plus, because we are so small, they don't pay much attention to us. We are not one of their huge marketing interest, I guess I could say, because we are not selling thousands and thousands of cases a year within the state. So that makes it a little difficult for us. So the marketing does land on us. So thankfully, we can sell on site, which was a wonderful part of the law that was passed a few years ago, which enabled us to do that. Prior to that, to tell you the truth, I don't know if we could exist. And many other small distillers would have that problem as well within the state of Ohio. Because it's your only option would be to send it to a liquor store and kind of pray. And pray that <laughs> yep. somebody, that somebody actually wants it. it. Yeah. Right now, we are, the way Joe and I operate, our sales of whiskey distribution within the state is special order. Oh, okay. Okay, so that means if, say, your hometown was Columbus and you had a liquor agency that you like to go to and you had been here at our distillery and you didn't want to drive another hour to come get a bottle of whiskey every week. Which is your recommended uh, oh, yeah, yeah, purchase. ordering yeah, yeah, frequency definitely. every week? Yes, sure. every week, definitely. <laughs> you would go to that agency and say, I would really like for you to get in Indian Creek Distillery's whiskey, Staley Rye Whiskey and Elias Staley Whiskey. They in turn give us a call or they will notify the state, their representative in the state, whomever that may be, who they work with. And then that representative gets a hold of my representative. They email me and say, Missy, agency number 562 is interested in a case of your whiskey. So then we get it from our bonded area, ask, well, we used to have to ask permission to even take it from our bonded. We don't have to do that anymore. Okay. They've eliminated that process. Thank goodness. <laughs> anyway. May I please move this case 20 feet? That's uh, yeah. exactly what it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was a little silly. Anyway, so we picked up that we would take that case and then we would deliver it to the Columbus warehouse. That agency would take their truck, pick it up, and then take it to their agency and present it for retail sale. I see. Mm-hmm. Hmm. What a process. What a process. <laughs> yeah. Now that you've owned a distillery, you make your own product. 
How has that changed the way you go to bars and restaurants? <laughs> Everyone kind of answers this question in their own different way. I do wonder, I think, I think it's fascinating now that you're on the production side of it. Well, what has that meant when you walk into a bar or restaurant? Oh, we're always comparing our, I should say not ourselves, but comparing the others to us. <laughs> there we <laughs> I go. I guess. Yep. You know, from uh, labels, what our, how our label stands out on the back shelf or okay. top shelf or lower shelf in correspondence with all the other labels that are there. We also tend to look on the back and see whether it was actually distilled in-house at that distillery or if it was just bottled, bottled yep. which meant that they were not distilling their whiskey. It was being hauled in, probably has neutral green spirits, and they were just flavoring it and bottling it. So we have a little bit of a problem with that because we are so... We do it all here, and we yeah. work very hard at that. And I know other artisan distillers who do distill on-site take that our occupation very seriously and feel like we're being robbed a bit by those other distillers who just ship it in and then are able to sell it and market it maybe in a higher quantity than us all who actually distill and work very hard on site. And the only indicator that the consumer would have on that is you turn the bottle around and you have to look for that one word, distilled by or bottled by. That's right. Yeah. yeah and if you're not educated that way, you just pick up that bottle and go, oh, this was really great stuff. Well, they don't know that Lawrenceburg facility, yeah. big distiller, made that whiskey and shipped it to your friend XXX, whoever that may be, who's making that whiskey. So... Well, so just one more question for you. What's one cocktail or recipe or drink, or you can just even say on the rocks, that you really think exhibits the strength of your whiskeys? Is there one way you like to drink it uh, that when people go and pick up a bottle, this is how that they should present it to their friends and try it themselves? Mm -hmm. It's so good, <laughs> we feel. Period, it's just so good. It okay. is just yeah. so good that you would want to drink it neat. Okay, so not even on the rocks, just have it You could if you mm -hmm. want to open up that flavor a bit, but our whiskey has such a unique, wonderful flavor to it, aroma, a nice nose. We always say it has great legs, mm -hmm. which they're supposed to have, has great legs, has a nice long finish. You don't really want to change the flavor or, in quotes here, ruin the flavor of our whiskey by putting it in with 7-Up. Or you can make a Manhattan, an old-fashioned with it, but the best is drinking it just straight. It's a great sipping whiskey because you're drinking, actually, a sip of history. Well, on that note, I want to thank you so much for your time. I really can't thank you enough for sitting down here with me and speaking with me and showing me around your beautiful distillery. Why don't you tell other people know where are you located? How can they find you so they can come out and see this piece of history them for themselves? Well, thank you, Zach. It's been a pleasure to have you here. really do appreciate your time. And yes, you, everyone can come take a visit and come for a visit and take a tour here at Indian Creek Distillery. We are located just north of Dayton, about 10 minutes at on Staley Road. And so you can look us up on Staley millfarmanddistillery.com also on Facebook at Indian Creek Distillery so we'd love for you to come we're open Thursday, Fridays and Saturdays though heck we have people pop in all during the week and we really don't mind so do come for a visit thank you so much Missy. thank you very much